if we resent our spouse for not doing something that they should have just known to do, that's a huge breakdown because they can't read our mind, even though we think they should be able to because, hey, we've been together for way too long, but they can't. And so stating those expectations can go a long way. You're listening to Mom After Hours, a podcast where we talk about the wins and challenges of being a modern mom. For real, we don't sugarcoat and we cover everything that is taboo. And don't you worry, mama, we save a seat for you. Hey mamas, welcome to Mom After Hours, the motherhood podcast where modern moms meet to discuss taboo topics. We want to welcome back mommy therapist, Allison Petrie. If you've been with us since the beginning, you might remember Allison, where she joined us on episode five to chat about overcoming isolation and motherhood. And she's come back to talk about the impact isolation is having on our relationships and marriages overall, considering the quarantine that many of us are in right now with COVID. So to remind our listeners, Allison is a licensed professional counselor who works for a nonprofit counseling center. She is a mom of two, wife to one, founder and contributor to the Mommy Therapist blog, a pizza enthusiast, and we actually just interrupted her <laughs> making and eating her pizza to join us. On the that's right. I'm like, that's funny. Um, she is a clumsy human and a lover of humanity. In everything she does, she strives to protect the hurting and be an advocate for the silenced. And she is our unofficial resident therapist here at Mom After Hours, <laughs> which is an extra bonus. We should have you on our website as um, part of our team. I can make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> so we wanted to bring Allison on today because we as moms are experiencing a whole other type of isolation that honestly we never could have thought about covering the first time that we had you on the show, Allison. Mm-hmm. Um, we are in a government-imposed shelter in place and quarantine, as I mentioned, due to the COVID pandemic. And who would have thought <laughs> we would be bringing you back for this? But you know, Brandy and I had a conversation and we, we just realized it was so important to have you back and talk about the impact of isolation um, on us as moms and on our relationships right now. So Allison, it is great to have you back. Welcome back, friend. Welcome back, back. Allison. So like I mentioned, when we had you on the podcast last time, we were really talking about kind of isolation generally in motherhood. And we started that interview by asking you what your morning was like that day. So that was, of course, before our daily routines changed drastically because of COVID. Could you just give us a little insight into the world of Allison right now and tell us what your morning was like today and what life is like for you and your family right now in the midst of what's happening? My morning makes me sound way more together than I am since I woke up at like 6.30, ran two miles, then got showered, got back into bed for a minute, had like a slight nap, got my kids up, got them breakfast, had a Bible study video meeting. I did laundry made pizza Damn, from scratch. It was it was <laughs> made pizza a from very scratch. Oh my God. great morning, but this is not my norm. How have things changed for you? 
I know you have a couple of small children, you know, what's sort of the situation like for you between you and your husband and working in childcare and things like that. Just paint us a little picture because I'm totally relating to other moms with young children and how they are managing in these times. They went from my youngest went to Mother's Day out two days a week while I worked. And then my son, who's three, went three days a week. And so, you know, I would have that time. They would get the socialization. And our life was a, was a lot more busy. We had things almost every evening. There was a lot going on. We had, when this started, we had weekends booked until May. And so it was very busy, but now it's less busy, but I still go into my office and do video visits with clients two days a week. And we have the most godsend woman in the world come to our house and watch the two kids. She's a retired preschool teacher. So I'm still able to get out of the house, go into my office, which isn't much of a change, but I have to do therapy through video, which is atrocious. And my husband's still going into work. He's at a hospital, but he's in a clinic. And so they threaten to cut their hours almost daily. I feel you. I think we're all sort of dealing with those things. So thank you so much for sharing because I'm I especially appreciate the share of some childcare support because that's been something I've been talking about with some other moms and it almost feels Mm -hmm. a little taboo right now to talk about getting Mm -hmm. outside help because there's this level of like martyrdom a little bit or at least perceived. Um, And I also have some family support um, because otherwise I don't think I would be well. (laughs) It's nice to hear that some other people are, are enlisting some support too to keep things up and running while still trying to you know, be safe for everyone involved. It would be very hard to be talking about, you know, trauma in someone's life with my three-year-old belting frozen. Yes. It's hard to to think when your three-year-old is belting frozen. Never mind. (laughs) Provide emotional and mental support to another individual. So yeah, you're trying to provide emotional support and your kid's banging on the door and you're like, shut up. You're like, yeah. oops, sorry, where were we? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so Allison, there's been quite a bit of media coverage about research that shows divorce rates will likely spike in light of this quarantine, which is very sad. Why? Mm-hmm. I mean, I have my own um, reasonings, but why is this crisis expected to take such a toll on our relationships, specifically even our, our marriages? In general, when there is a crisis, it's after the crisis passes that people react. And so that's also part of why it will be after that people will start reacting, will respond to the things that happened during the crisis. And I don't know if you've noticed, but there are times when you want to kill your spouse right now. They're no, too loud. I've noticed. They're <laughs> snoring us. too loud. They're leaving their dirty clothes on top of the hamper, not inside the hamper. They are oh doing so many things that drive you nuts. Yeah. Have they changed? No. Your maybe emotional health has changed a bit. When people are anxious and stressed, one of the biggest symptoms is irritability. And I don't know if you've noticed, but when you're angry about something, when you're irritable, every little thing 
drives you nuts. And you assume they are chewing loud on purpose. They are trying to make me mad. I don't understand why you wouldn't put your socks in the hamper. You did that just to bother me. And they're like, oh, no, I just took them off. And it's the rising emotions that are causing more tension and more fights. And fights are normal. But if you don't know how to fight well and communicate well, it'll cause a buildup of resentment and a buildup of something that Dr. Gottman, who is phenomenal at marriages and marriage theory, talks about the four horsemen of the apocalypse where it comes to relationships and, you know, resentment and stonewalling and these things become more evident when you're around someone more, but also when you're around someone, when you are the most anxious and it's not a moment of anxiety, we're going on five, six weeks of Mm -hmm. a baseline of anxiety because of the unknown. Very true. That's so interesting. And I think too, that what I've seen is not just like the socks bugging you, but like taking their emotional reactions in different ways or their reactions in different ways, like reading into things a little bit more than I normally would or, you know, questioning intentions behind things and just, I don't know, making things a lot more complicated than they have to be. And then, you know, fights ensue because of that. So that's... And we're just, we're not used to being around people so much. Like stay-at-home moms, yes, they're used to being around their children more often, but they're not used to being around maybe their partners often. Most of the time, maybe their partner's working out of out of the home. Same with working moms who are maybe working from home. Like they're used to having that separation from their children. Like, you know, we mentioned earlier, you know, you have care for um, your children but for those moms that are literally just being cooped up in their house with a bunch of screaming kids and their partner's working at the kitchen table and maybe there's other family members staying with them, I don't know. But just being around people nonstop. I mean, for me, even being an, an extrovert, I still need that time by myself, peace and quiet where nobody's around. Sometimes I need to be isolated away from my families to to keep my sanity. But it's really hard when you're in quarantine in close quarters with people nonstop. And then of course, moms being the kind of the ringleader of the house, you know, we're we're already dealing with this weird situation and which is becoming our new normal. But then we're having to carry on all these other things that were we were used to caring, but not in this kind of state where you feel like, I don't know, you wake up sometimes in the morning and you're like, shit, another day I'm going to have to figure figure out this homeschooling thing. I got to do this and that. And anxiety of trying to keep it all together and not knowing how long you're going to have to try to keep this going. And it is really, really hard. <laughs> well, I think that's a really good point. And Allison, I'd love to hear your perspective on this. In my experience at the beginning, it was sort of like a day-to-day thing, a week-to-week thing of like, we're going to deal with this sort of like temporary situation. And as things have lengthened, it's less like this reactive, how are we going to 
get through this temporary situation and more like, okay, we're having to make pretty substantial changes to our routines. And obviously, those of us that have young children, we're facing an especially challenging time right now and you know, having everything flipped upside down. How can couples talk about what's happening and figure out how best to manage the changes? So beyond just like, okay, we're just going to deal with this temporarily and keep things going as they have been. If, for example, me and my husband really didn't have any conversation at the beginning to say, okay, these are the changes we're going to have to make to our schedule. It was more like treating it like a sick day where we just had to like figure things out temporarily, but this isn't temporary anymore. So how can we actually have conversations to talk about what's going on and how we need to handle this with our partners? I think some of it is recognizing that it is a shift to almost an inevitability of like, this is going to last for a little while. And having that conversation about expectations, about what you need from your partner during this time, but also acknowledging how you're feeling. Because this time we're busy, yet we're not. And some people might not have had the time to self-reflect as much as they can now but also feel as much as they do now. And so being able to be in touch with, okay, I am feeling anxious. Why am I feeling anxious? I'm feeling anxious because I want to spend time with a friend or I'm worried about my elderly parents. And so I'm isolating from them, but I really want a hug from my mom. Or I'm really anxious because I need to get out of this house. I'm starting to lose it. And I'm worried about how it's going to affect my kids. All of those things are related to anxiety, but they're more specific. And so figuring out how we feel and why we feel it, we can gain more support from our partner and they can understand what we're dealing with internally and it can help with the conversation. So if I know that you know, my partner is stressed because their job might go poof tomorrow. If they start getting irritated and small things frustrate them, I'm able to know, okay, this is not about me. This is about what's going on internally. And then I can start the conversation. I see you're really stressed. You know, what do you need from me in this moment? And it's the elephant in the room is talked about and it becomes this thing we don't have to climb around. It becomes something that we can deal with as a team as opposed to being opponents. That's such, that's so smart. I feel like that's really important to address the elephant in the room because it's easy to just, for me at least, I just kind of will break down sometimes. Like I don't want to talk about it, even though I talk a lot, podcasts, (laughs) websites, everything. I'm pretty... I don't like to talk about the meat of stuff or relationship stuff or I mean like with my own. So I normally will just break down and not stop communicating, which is not a good idea. But I have been trying harder with my husband because, you know, it's the same situation with his job where poof, it could be gone tomorrow. He works in the convention industry and we all know that nobody's having meetings in large conventions in Chicago nor anywhere else in the world and having going on for almost six months with no events 
I mean, yes, they have, they've been furloughed and there's people, you know, they'll get pay cuts and stuff like that, but it's layoffs are inevitable. And that is so scary. And when my husband, and he's one of those guys who's typically never stressed, like I'm always the distressed one. I'm always the one that worries enough for the whole family. And he's like, don't worry about it, baby, that you can't control it. More recently, he has been responding. I mean, how I see it, like he's stressed out where he's being very short and annoyed. And I've been trying hard not to take it seriously. Just like you suggest, like, look at where he's coming from and especially being the breadwinner, you know, I'm sure he feels like everything is on his shoulders. And even though, you know, I always say, I'll go back to work full time immediately. Like, well, I'll, we'll do what we need to do, you know, to make sure that we can keep a roof over our head and we can maintain the same lifestyle. But sometimes guys just don't want to hear that. They, they have the notion where, no, I, I got to take care of the family. I got to do it all, at least in my situation. I'm wondering what other things besides opening up about our feelings to our partner, what are some other things that couples can do to take care of themselves and the relationships right now so that divorce does not come (laughs) in the future? I think trying to also set the expectations of what you need from each other if you're both working from home and also trying to be full-time parents, whether one's working outside the home, one's working in the home, all the different types of parenting and employeeness, that's not a word, that's happening right now. It, it needs to be clear what you need from them. So a mom who's a stay-at-home mom this is different because they can't have play dates. They can't go to the park. They can't do the things that help time pass and help with the monotony. So their partner might be going to work, might not understand why the stay-at-home mom's emotional reactions are different. But being able to say, the mom to be able to say, when you walk in the door, I need you to take them on a walk. I need you to have a snack with them. I need you to take their attention for a minute. And then, you know, the husband might say, but I need to de-stress from my day. And then come to the compromise of, okay, how about you drive around the block an extra two times to decompress from your day or spend an extra couple minutes in the garage so that when you walk in the door, you can take that because that's what I need. And then he's able to get what he needs. So being able to recognize the one or two things that are necessary and communicating that to your spouse, and then they can communicate their needs and then you can find a compromise. So it's not unmet expectations, but it's also not uncommunicated expectations because if we resent our spouse for not doing something that they should have just known to do, that's a huge breakdown because they can't read our mind, even though we think they should be able to because, hey, we've been together for way too long, but they can't. And so stating those expectations can go a long way. Also, trying once or twice a week to do something or provide something that you know helps them feel valued and special to cook their favorite meal one night or if your house is a wreck, but they really like the bedroom to be clean and straight so they feel sane, make that a priority. Or 
when they walk in, you drop what you're doing and just say hi to them. Or if they feel very special when you're, you make their coffee in the morning, a small way once or twice a week to serve them in a way that they feel special can also go a long way. I love the specificity of those recommendations Mm -hmm. because I find what happens is a lot of times we will, there's so many similarities to other situations in motherhoods, but you know, we're doing the stiff upper lip, we're keeping it all together. And then we just kind of have that resentment and break down and just say like, I need help, you know, and then we've reached that boiling point where it's sort of that, like we're in that like blind rage or something and we're not really listening. And I need help is pretty vague. But really being specific to say, like you said, when you get home, I need 30 minutes, like 30 minutes uninterrupted. I need the kids out of the house for those 30 minutes, like take them on a walk, play out in the garden, do whatever you want. And then finding that compromise too is, I just feel like that's such good advice because that way the expectations are very clear and we're both getting what we want in order to like come back to the relationship and enjoy each other's time with the kids as well. One thing I wanted to bring up is this sort of like ties into our initial conversation we had, um, Allison, is just for me personally, the similarities I feel between this period of life and maybe this time in our lives, and maybe it's because I have young children and being postpartum and this feeling of like we're yes we are being forced into isolation but there's just so many similarities to me of feeling disconnected not voicing your emotions like trying to do it all not taking care of yourself like still not finding time for yourself amidst all of this me and brandy talked about this i had a little bit of a breaking point on friday like just you know crying at like very minor things. And I think it was because for five weeks, I've just been trying to like do it all and not take care of myself at all. And it finally like reached a boiling point. And what I had to do for myself is like take half a day yesterday, which was a Sunday and say like, I can't make decisions for the kids. Like I just need to be able to be in the house and not be the one that the kids go to. And we did have some kind of specific agreement for the day and that rejuvenated me and like helped wash away my resentment (laughs) at this point. And it was just so important. So I don't know, I guess I didn't really bring a question into that, but I would be interested to hear like, how you're thinking about self-care these days amidst all of this, how it might be important for, we're obviously speaking to moms, but parents right now to still find self-care amidst all of this. So what are are your thoughts? I think it's good in this way, as opposed to the postpartum life, that you physically can do more. Things like you can probably sleep through the night And you can shower, you can brush your teeth. You don't have to be attached to a tiny human 24 seven, just maybe 20, you know, seven. And so (laughs) doing something like, okay, my, my small goal for the day is to take a shower. Okay. That seems very doable. That's something that's taking care of yourself. It's part of your old routine. Or I'm going to, paint my nails today, or I'm going to 
make a meal that I really want to eat, or I'm going to order from a restaurant because I don't want to cook today. So finding something very small to make it a goal, and it could even be abstaining from certain chores that you normally do during the day. It's, I'm going to let my kids watch a movie today. I'm not going to put the pressure on me to entertain them the entire day. I'm going to give myself those that break. And so having something set out ahead of time that you are going to do, that you're going to not do to take care of yourself that day. So number one, you have it to look forward to if it occurs at a certain part of the day, but also it's not a spur of the moment. Okay, kids, I can't handle you anymore. You're going to watch a movie. Therefore, some of the mom guilt is taken away. Hmm. It's a, okay, I planned for this. This is what we're going to do. It's, it's not because I'm just over it, though you might be. And so it can help because you also feel like you had a goal and you achieved it. And so it can help with feeling like you're not falling apart. That's so smart. I like that you schedule the video with or for your children. So you feel like you did accomplish something. <laughs> or you do I that every do day that. these yeah. days, scheduling the video. Yeah. It went from like a once in a while schedule the video to what time tomorrow are we hey, scheduling? there's educational <laughs> YouTube videos and stuff out there. I mean, it's not like our kids' brains going to mush. I mean, they're yeah. still learning something when they're watching the TV and the movies. Um, but I have a friend who's got like four or five kids. So you can imagine the homeschooling thing right now is about to push her over the cliff. Like she's going crazy and she's working from home full time with five kids. And they only have like a couple computers, so, you know, trying to arrange the Zoom calls, rotating their homework stuff and all the schedule stuff. I'm like, girl, I would, I probably would have given up. I wanted to talk a little deeper about some tools that we can use to communicate better with our partners and handle conflict. So earlier you mentioned something about fighting well or fighting Mm -hmm. fair. What Mm -hmm. are some tools that we can use if we are feeling frustrated with our partner and we're at the point where we're literally about to flip our lid on them? How can we stay (laughs) positive and not react? What would you recommend, Allison? (laughs) Well, if you're about to lose it, maybe saying, hey, I need a timeout. Just give me a second. And walking away for a moment, calming yourself down, but you have to come back. If you're in the moment where you are so elevated emotionally, you cannot collect your thoughts, you need a minute or you're going to say something you're going to regret. And so you can walk away. That is allowed. However, you have to reintroduce the conversation. So that's very important. One of the best ways to communicate a difficult a difficult sentiment where you're frustrated with your spouse or you're you're really struggling with something that they've done or a way that you felt because of something that they've done is using i statements which can work with friends, with kids, with anyone. And it's so helpful. And the template for it is I feel blank. So like, I feel rejected. I feel disappointed. I feel 
frustrated using very intense soul words rather than I feel happy, I feel sad, trying to go a little deeper into the more intentional, more specific words. So I feel blank when you blank because blank. And next time I would like it if you blank. So Mm -hmm. just an example, kind of using the dirty laundry, not in the laundry basket, something fairly light. So, you know, I feel unimportant or I feel undervalued when you throw your dirty clothes on the floor because I work so hard to keep things straight. Next time, could you put, please put them in the hamper. That works so much better than just going, how dare you do that again? Or why can't you put it where it goes? That's more of a you statement, you, 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 where we get defensive if anyone comes at us. But if someone comes to you and says, I feel unvalued, that changes your entire perspective of the situation. And it causes you to listen from a much softer place. I feel like they'll have more empathy for you versus anger when you're just making it seem like it's a problem about them, like you're the problem versus saying, you know, this is how I'm feeling when you're creating this problem. (laughs) I feel like you're more likely to attract more, what is it, more bees with honey or whatever the hell that expression is. (laughs) I'm always always screwing up. It is all good. But part of it is your spouse cares about you and your spouse wants you to be happy. So instead of assuming the worst, if we can believe the best with believing that they really care how you feel, instead of assuming they did that just to bother me, it can help because then you don't view them as your opponent. They are not your enemy. This stressful situation might be your enemy, but they are not your enemy. And they don't know how you feel unless you share it with them. And sometimes we react so intensely to an action that we don't understand why it bothered us so much sometimes. So how could they? And if we're able to tie it back to those deep soul words, we're able to share with them why it affects us so strongly. And then they're not going to think we're just a crazy person that's lost it because they don't want to be at home anymore. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it really makes me think too of like just also having, because as you're talking, I'm doing a lot of reflection on, you know, my own relationship amidst this and just also like having empathy for the other person and asking like, you know, what do you need? You know, what are your outlets? Because we're all missing. Not only are we all in, you know, physical, confined in physical space together, but we're all missing our outlets, whether our outlets were, you know, going out to a yoga studio or going and having beers with friends or whatever it may be, like we're all missing them. So taking some time to give that attention and space to the other person to say like, what are you missing? What do you need? Um, Versus just kind of even only saying what you need yourself. I feel like that would also be like a good practice um, Mm -hmm. in this too. I also saw as I go off on tangents, which my mind does, um, 
which me and my husband tried to do this weekend was having um, like somewhat of a date night. So I don't know if either of you have seen this. It's sort of, I saw quite a few couples doing this on social media, um, all like this previous Saturday night. And that's not why we did it because I saw other people, but it was, I think that a lot of couples are feeling like we have been in somewhat of a transactional state. Like I feel like me and my husband have somewhat have been like ships passing in the wind because I feel like I'm passing the baton whenever I see him. It's like, okay, I've had the kids all day. Here's the baton. You take the kids. Okay. Like I'll take the baton for bath time. And it isn't, it's more like that than it typically is. And so instead of just kind of being in this, um, you know, like baton passing state to actually say like, what can we do to enjoy time together? Whether it's going on a family walk on the weekend or having a date night where like you're doing what you're normally doing, but like maybe you buy some fancy cheese or something like that. So it's like sort of to that point that you mentioned, Allison, of like doing something special, whether it's the special cup of coffee or making a nice meal, like we can still do nice things for each other and special things for each other amidst all of this. Absolutely. One thing that I was able to see growing up my parents having date nights at home, even when there's not a stay at home order (laughs) because they had three, eventually four small kids. And so they put us in the back room. We got to watch a movie, which was exciting to us. And we got pizza, which was awesome because we know I love pizza. (laughs) (laughs) From a young age. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Probably because it brings up such good memories. Yeah. So we would all be in the back and they would be up front. And I feel like there was candlelight. Maybe I just made that up. But I feel like there was candlelight and they ate dinner together and they just sat at the table and it was asked if they were in a restaurant, but they didn't leave the house. They didn't have to worry about going anywhere, which is something that can be brought into this time. You know, wait till the kids go to bed and make an effort to not just collapse on the couch. But even if it's not eating over candlelight, playing a game together, reading a book together, doing something where it's a way for you to connect face to face as well as, you know, you're connecting during the day or at other times side by side. I've definitely been brushing up on my Rummy 500 skills <laughs> since, <laughs> since we've been in quarantine. Now, I really like that advice. I mean, I think it's good to have practical tools. And let's be honest, like we're talking about this in the context of COVID, but these are all relationship practices that we need to be practicing. And if you're struggling with challenges now, those challenges were probably there before. And if you don't address them in some way, they might be there after. I know the spike would potentially be after, but like these are all really like healthy practices that we can use to nurture our relationships. Allison, do you have any further advice for moms out there who are seriously concerned about the health of their relationship right now? There are options. There are pretty much every counselor I know is doing telehealth therapy. So, you know, you have more of a captive audience. It's okay to look for a couple's counselor and start meeting with them during the quarantine, doing video sessions. It doesn't even mean that you're desperate. It just means you want to tune up for your marriage. It's okay to look for that outside help. There is nothing to be ashamed of with that. It just means you value it because you want to spend time on it. And 
you can contact someone in your area to find out about that. It's so important to verbalize the fact that you're concerned, the fact that you're concerned, but not only that, that you want to make things work and that you value the relationship. Because sometimes when you feel like you're fighting all the time, you even wonder if the other person cares or thinks it's worth it. And so even saying, you know, I know we've been fighting a lot. I know we've been getting on each other's nerves. I just want to let you know I want to work on ways to do things differently because I value you and I value our relationship. And so that can just be a baseline for doing things differently. And, you know, it's, it's never too late to start communicating differently, to find things that can help your marriage work. And there are books that you could look into. Um, there's this book called uh, Creative for Connection, and it's based off of um, a method of marriage counseling that actually my dad specializes in. And um, they do these workshops that are phenomenal, but they talk about soul words. They talk about identifying the different raw spots you have, and it can give you common language to communicate with one another about what you need, what you feel, and how to do things different moving forward. Sounds like an amazing read. Do you have any other resources um, to recommend to our listeners that might be helpful? Five Love Languages. (laughs) is a great book, uh, Gary Chapman. It goes through the different way that people experience love. It's generally the way they try to communicate it. And if your love language is touch and their love language is gifts and they keep giving you stuff and you're like, I just want you to hold my hand, it can be a problem. (laughs) So that's a great, another great one because it gives a common language. Even if you read you know, a road back to you or another Enneagram book and you figure out your Enneagram, it can once again, give you language, a common language to understand what's going on below the surface and to communicate it with one another. I'm writing down those resources because I've wanted to read that five love languages book for, or listen to it because I actually don't physically read many books. Um, (laughs) Though I am now because I'm inside the house and I just started Untamed by Glennon Doyle, which is great. However, I'm adding five love languages onto my list. Those are awesome resources. Thank you, Allison. I feel like we, you know, some of us have time to be doing more of these things like reading things. I know there are some people that have time to be organizing closets. I know we all have toddlers, so I don't, I'm guessing most of us on the phone <laughs> haven't really been doing that if you're trying to run a business and, you know, keep your children alive. The good news is that eventually all of this to an extent will be behind us. You know, it feels like we are just sort of drowning in what's going on right now. But, you know, we have a little floaty on our life raft and it's just going to pop us up above water. And I would love to hear, Allison, to end this on a positive note, what you are most looking forward to after the quarantine is behind us. Hugging my mom because we're having to keep distance because of their age and, you know, health stuff. Also, My sister is having a baby May 5th, and so they're having to really social distance so that they can go be around a newborn in a couple of weeks. And so also getting to meet my niece eventually and, you know, going to eat Mexican food with my friends. Yes. 
Because Mexican food is never as good if it gets if it's to go. Yeah, there's something about the fresh chips and salsa, and if you want a margarita or something, being there with the Mexican music playing in the background, it's hard to recreate that at your house. So I'm gonna make quesadillas tonight. So we'll (laughs) we'll see. Maybe I'll put some Mexican music on Spotify. Just put on some mariachi. Allison, can you remind us where our listeners can find you if they want to learn more about any resources you have related to marriage and relationships or isolation generally and motherhood, which we talked about in the last episode? The easiest way is probably on Instagram because our WordPress blog link is too complicated. So it's the underscore mommy underscore therapist um, on Instagram. And then links to things are off of that. Awesome. Well, Allison, thank you so much. Again, as our resident therapist, we are excited to have you on. It was my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Mom After Hours. If you'd like to learn more about anything we mentioned today on the show, or if you're interested in connecting with the mommy therapist, Allison Petrie, check out our show notes at momafterhours.com forward slash episodes. We all know it's a nutty time right now, and we need as much help as we can get. If this episode hit home, or if you have a mommy friend who could really benefit from hearing this message, please share it with her. Because sometimes it takes a village.